All right, man, it's great worship. It's um, a great lead-in to, uh, actually it's a great summer, summarization of where we've been this last week in our discussions in life group, talking about the provision of God and trusting in Him for, uh, in a practical way, not worrying about life because we know who He is. And man, this is just, all the songs today seem to be centered around that. And, uh, and also just, again, a great lead-in to where we're going today in the message. Um, we have a lot of people visiting today that uh, have not been with us, and some, some that have been with us haven't been with us in a while. So what we're doing uh, in the preaching time and have been doing since the beginning of the year is we've been looking through the Gospels, not at, uh, for doctrine, not for, uh, uh, for practices. We're, what we're looking at, trying to look at, is who is Jesus in each scenario in the Gospels? When Jesus has an encounter with somebody, who does he reveal himself to be? And so we've been working on that since January, about to come to a close, it looks like, because uh, we're, we're just about got Jesus back in Jerusalem. So uh, we've already talked about who he was in the, in the crucifixion uh, during Easter. So, so that's what we're doing. So, and all that's based on the fact that Thomas, uh, was it Thomas or Andrew? I can't even remember now. I think Andrew asked the question to Jesus, Philip, thank you. Nobody said it, but I, I just remembered it. Thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit. Uh, Philip asked the question of Jesus in, the, in their last hours together. So they've been with him for three years, watched everything that he did, encountered his teaching, and, and he still asks the question or makes the statement, show us the Father and it will be enough. And so Jesus makes this statement that has challenged us to, to walk through the Gospels for the, for the answers. And it is, how long will you be with me and still not know who I am? How long are you, you going to be with me and still not know me? I mean, know who I am by experiences. How, how, how long do, is that going to take? And, and it's easy for us to sit back in judgment of that, although most of us have found ourselves, look, I'm certainly not as, as strong as one of the disciples. Most of us did feel judgment uh, on ourselves. But it's easy for us to sit back and say, yeah, disciples, surely you should have known by this time who Jesus was. I mean, you spent every waking hour with him. Uh, and even a lot of sleeping hours with him. And you should know. And then we, then we check ourselves and we realize that, as Jesus said, what happened, we have a better Jesus in us, a better form who lives in us, the Holy Spirit, who he says, it's better for you that I go away so he may come. So he lives in us, walks with us, is more, with us more. He's with us in every moment. And all of us, in, as we go our separate ways today, he goes with us walks with us through life, and yet we don't know him. And so we've been t- talking about why is it we don't know Jesus, and who, who would we have seen, what would we, would we have discovered if we had watched Jesus heal uh, the sick, if we'd watched him uh, forgive the woman caught in the act of adultery, and on and on it goes. And so we've been walking through those stories. Well, last week, we, uh, we, we landed on a story that challenged us to ask the, some questions about the reality of where our faith is. Uh, Jesus was, was talking to his disciples, and he makes the point to bring up the fact that uh, there's, there are some people that worry about their food, and he, so he says as a solution, look around you and see that food is provided for the, for the ravens even, the, the nastiest of birds, they, they're provided for us, so certainly will your father not provide for you? Yes, he will. 
and they're worried about clothing, physical things. And, and Jesus says, look around you, look at the flowers of the field. They don't do anything, and look how beautiful they are. They're, they're more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. And what we try to do is look at, are we really trusting God? Are we really putting our, our faith in him? Is worry really disappearing from our lives, or, or are we continuing to worry? And then he gave us some very practical solutions to that. I hope you've been applying those this week. I hope you're not continuing to ignore your, your worry and say, well, I'm not really worried because I'm spiritual. I don't think anybody was doing that. seems to me that the live groups and phone calls and text messages and emails that I got this week from nearly everyone, it seems like. I mean, all of you are in, in finding yourself needing some help dealing with worry. And so we gave some principles last week, some things to apply, but really, ultimately, it comes down to the point of, do I really trust God? Do I know Him well enough that I can put my faith in Him regardless of what's going on in my life? And the, the, the truthful answer is no, you don't. The truthful answer is no, I don't. We don't know Him well enough to trust him. We don't know him well enough in our experience to trust him. If, if we'll be honest, the preacher's not any better than anybody in the pew. We're all at the same place of we have worry, and worry is, a, is it, in its purest form is that it, it comes from not trusting God, not believing the things that God says he would do, ultimately because we don't know the person behind the things that he says. And we, we misinterpret things that happen in our lives to say, well, God doesn't like me, and that's a misrepresentation of who he is. And so we build up this, sometimes he likes me, sometimes he doesn't. And we look at our circumstances, and we define our, our beliefs in God based on our circumstances instead of letting God define our circumstances. That's a whole different ballgame. So when the focus is our circumstances, then we don't get to see God for who he is. So no wonder we don't trust him. So, you know, we, we always talk about abiding in this church, but I want to tell you, abiding in Christ is the answer to discovering the truth about God. If you will abide in him, you will discover the truth about God. You'll discover who he is when you're at your lowest point. You'll discover who he is when you're at your highest point. And ultimately, it's more than just getting out of worry. That's what we talked about last week. Jesus was saying, don't worry. You know, how can you, how, there's no, it's stupid to worry because there's, you can't do anything to make things better by worrying. Worrying is, is just going to cause all those negative things to happen in your physical body, in your brain that we talked about last week. It's, there's nothing but negative that comes from worry. You can Worry does nothing to help you. Instead, seek the kingdom. Seek God's kingdom. Seek to find out what is God's plan for you today, tomorrow. And you can take that into moment by moment because the Holy Spirit lives in you. What's God's plan for me right now, as this morning? What, what's God's plan for me as we're fellowshipping with people before church? Where's my, where does God want me? What does God want to do and show me about himself as I'm speaking with somebody? Always being aware that every moment is a teachable moment. So, so don't worry, right? It's easy, easier said than done. Well, then Jesus goes on in this same text, or, yeah, in the same uh, set of passages 
Today we'll be in the Mark version, in Mark chapter 12. He goes on to, to, to now say, not only just don't worry, but he says, there, I'm looking at your faith. I'm not really looking at your actions. Remember, your, our actions are taken care of. The righteousness of Christ has been given to us. So sometimes we act right, sometimes we don't, but, but there's something underneath our actions that, that Jesus is really concerned about. And we'll find in the story today that Jesus applauds faithful giving because it's a representation, it's a, it's a clear representation of where our faith is. Really, Jesus applauds faith in giving, you know, if you want to say it that way. Jesus applauds the faith. He doesn't applaud the giving. But our giving of ourselves, of our time, in this case, in this story today, of money to God, to the kingdom's work, if we have a kingdom perspective and we're seeking the kingdom, then our giving is a great representation of our faith. And so you can already pull that up today and be thinking about it. This is not a sermon on tithing. This is a sermon on Jesus. It's a sermon on how Jesus applauds faithful giving, our giving that's full of faith. Jesus applauds that. He does in this story and he does in your life. He's looking at your life. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you. He is looking for your faith to grow. He is helping that to happen by sanctifying you through life circumstances. And he gives you plenty of opportunities and, uh, to, to, cha- to challenge you to grow in your faith by doing what he says. So Mark chapter 12, verses 40 to 44 will be our focal passage. Here's what he says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So in in reference to last week's message and thinking about worry and overcoming worry and by getting our minds focused on, first of all, the, the futility in spending any time worrying about our fleshly needs, anything in this life, the futility of that. And then doing what Jesus said and setting our eyes on the kingdom of God. What's God doing in this world? What, what's God doing around me that he wants to involve me in? When we set our eyes on that, on that then Jesus, we see that Jesus is, is getting to the heart of the issue in this story. All right, so let's look at what's going on. First of all, Jesus is watching. He watched the people put their money into the temple treasury. He is watching, and he's watching us. He's watching us and our giving of ourselves, our time, our money, our efforts. That word watch means that he looked discerningly. He didn't just look and see. He looked discerningly at how the crowd threw their money into the treasury. So what did he see as he looked discerningly at how the people gave their money? Well, the the one thing we know he didn't see is he didn't see the size of their gift. Well, he saw it, but that wasn't what he was looking for. 
You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, preaching going on today. There's a lot of people, and, and even for us, it's, it's a struggle to, to finance projects that we feel like at times that God wants us to do, or there's a fear that he won't provide. Our testimony has been, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, God's always provided more than what we have budgeted, and we have budgeted more than what we were taking in almost every year. God has done that, but God, he's looking at them. And, and when we look at the treasury, we look at the size of offerings. Well, you know, well, that, that's a lot of faith. That's a great person that put in that huge amount of money. We're so thankful to have this wealthy person in our church who's willing to give a lot of money to the cause of Christ. And it's not that we aren't. Or we look at, at how often the person gives. Uh, you know, so the size, of the, size of, of the offering. And then are they giving every week? How much are they giving? How much are you giving? Jesus wasn't checking to make sure that every person either came to the treasury, he doesn't focus on that, and he wasn't focused on how much they were giving. He was looking beyond the gift to the faith behind it. What's the faith behind their coming to the altar? What was their faith behind the gifts that they gave? The amount didn't matter. So first of all, let's look at what Jesus says what, what he encountered earlier. Now, we've been in the temple. Uh, Jesus had been preaching in the temple. We're, we're, he's still in the temple, and now he's looking at what's being given at the altar. But there was one level of faith that was described just before this, star, this story in the temple. And, it, and there's a, this, really this story in the temple, uh, this story about this temple gift or this widow's might is, is in, with reflection on the story that comes before it. So let's look at verses 38 to 40 and see what he says. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. So Jesus had just noticed the religious leaders and given us a... uh, a command not to do what they do. Pay attention, he says, to these guys. Notice what they do. Watch out for them. Because here's what the, what the religious leaders were doing. They had no needs. Their needs were totally taken care of by the money that's being put in the temple treasury. These religious leaders were taken care of financially, so they had no needs. So as a result, they had no worries, no concerns. And also, as a result, they had no faith. They had no faith that the people would give enough money or that God would provide for them through the people. So what they did is they would go to widows' houses. They would go to those who were vulnerable, and they would pray these long prayers in their house, and the widows were anxious to see a, a religious man come to their house. It, gave, it brought attention to them and to, to her family. But they, they would come into her house and, and put on this facade of religious activity and would take the money and use it for themselves. They didn't have faith. They were going to steal. They were stealing. It's the opposite of faith when you go and steal something that, from somebody else. And so there, there's a, a, one example of, before he even gets into this story. Before we talk about the widow and the wealthy, let's talk about these religious leaders. Jesus noticed that they were taking advantage of the widows and stealing from them, literally devouring, the Bible says, their houses, which means to take it over by dishonest means, taking over their property by dishonest means. 
So this first level of faith was religious. And it was, people looked at them and held them in, in high esteem. And they would give their tenth into the temple treasury. But they would get their tenth from stealing from widows. And so let's, let's pause there for a minute because, I mean, I can tell you for absolutely true, uh, an absolutely true statement about myself and go no further than that. There have been times when I did what I did spiritually because I got a paycheck at the end of the week. I'm the religious leader. I don't have to look at anybody else's church or look around the community to find another pastor. I can tell you there have been times when my motive for, for doing what I did for the church was so that I would be able to have a paycheck at the end of the week. How is that any different? I didn't have any worries because I knew the church would pay me every week as long as I kept on doing spiritual things, as long as I kept showing up at the hospitals when people wanted me there, as long as I kept showing up wherever else people wanted me all the time, as long as I kept preaching the way they wanted me to preach and wearing what they wanted me to wear and acting like they wanted me to act and going where they wanted me to go, as long as I continued to do that, I was getting a paycheck, and I did it for the paycheck. If y'all want to walk out, you can. That's just being honest and vulnerable. That's where I've been. I have always, for years and years, been in ministry for myself, my own purposes, doing the things that I do because there's a paycheck at the end of it. It's what I went to seminary for so I could get a paycheck. And I, I got a doctorate so I could get a bigger paycheck. But what about you? What about your faith? Why do you do what you do spiritually? Are you doing it for the wrong reason? Are you doing it to get attention for yourself? Are you doing it to draw some, something for yourself from God's house, from God's people? I've talked to you guys before about Bob Sorge. I recommended his book to someone this past week. Bob was a great musician, lost his voice, couldn't speak anymore. And during that not speaking time and not singing time, uh, he came to realize that he was using the church for personal gain doing what he did in order to get money out of the people. And God taught him so much about himself, but one of the things that he mentioned that I'll never forget, he said that using the church for your own personal gain, your selfish reasons, is just like the, bride, the, the friend of the bridegroom or the best man taking the bride out before the wedding and seducing the bride to himself. And that's what I was doing. I wanted the attention. I wanted people to like me so my paycheck would continue to come through. I wanted to do all the things I needed to do to make that happen. And that's where these religious leaders were. They would do their big prayers, and they, would, they had all the right vocabulary and were doing all the right things in order to continue to take money from the widows. They kept up the facade that they were giving their time for God praying these long prayers in widows' houses. So the first level of faith in this story to me is an appearance of faith, but none in reality. It's an appearance of faith, but there's no faith in reality. There were no needs. There was no worry. There was no faith. Instead, they were controlling everything. And by their, uh, their willingness, let me touch on this before we move, by their ability to control their circumstances, they, their faith never grew. They were able to do what they wanted. They had absolute control. They were not only the religious leaders, they were also the uh, government leaders. 
They got what they wanted, and they controlled what everybody gave. And so they were using these, this ministry to manip, manipulate people for income. But in our story, in our text for today, so I just want to bring that up because there's, that's out there. In our text for today, he said, as you're watching with Jesus, if we're watching with him, he's sitting over here, and we're gathered together, we're watching what's going on, what we see, what we see is a, a, a wealthy person coming to the plate. We don't get any, any uh, description of what this looked like. So picture it in a very sincere way or picture it in a very flaunting way, whatever you want to. But the Bible in this text does not say that they flaunted it. It just said that, they, that he watched them come to the treasury. So the wealthy came and they put in a lot of money. Now, everybody notices that, right? I mean, if, if somebody came and they, they had to get about 10 or 12 envelopes and their stuff in cash in those children's home envelopes and have our name on them and put them in the treasury, you know, if we keep putting all this money in the treasury, we would notice that. And in most cases, we would consider that person to be very spiritual. But that's, that's all we see. And then Jesus also sees a widow come up, and she eases her way up to the bucket, and she throws in two copper coins. And we see that. So we see it with Jesus, and we recognize there's a couple of copper coins going into the treasury. And we have a, an opinion about that as well. What we see, we have an opinion about. How much you put in the treasury, we've got an opinion about. But that means nothing. The widow put in two small cop, copper, well, the wealthy put in great sums of money. It probably in obedience to what they felt was a command from God. And there's no condemnation for them of the, of the, of the money they put in. So let me just say that. You put money in the treasury, there's no condemnation. You put money in the offering plate, there's no condemnation for you. You're doing, even if your motive is wrong. The widow comes and she puts in her two coins in obedience to what she felt was a command from God, and there was no condemnation for the widow. So what happens next in the story? He calls his disciples to himself. He calls his disciples to himself for a teachable moment. He, he, he calls them to take what they saw, the circumstance they just experienced, he, he calls them together so he can put truth to the circumstance that they just saw. He wants them to understand what's going on. He, he, want them, he wants to make sure that they don't, they don't misinterpret the small amount of change that the woman put in the plate or the large amount that the wealthy put in. There was a definite connection between wealth and prosperity and being right with God in their day. He wanted to make sure that they understood, that they were there for this teachable moment. And so let's make sure that we allow Jesus to bring us around him also today for this great teaching. We need to not only hear, but apply the teaching to our lives and realize that, that Jesus sees us when we put money into his treasury. He sees us when we spend our dollars, when we spend our time, when we spend our, our energy working for with him or for him, however you see it. And so we need to let Jesus look at our giving discerningly like he did about their gifts.
Look what he says in verse 43. Calling the disciples to himself, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, first of all, this poor widow put more in the treasury than all the others. Now, they should have learned the lesson right there, and he's going to go on and describe it, uh, what he means by that later. But, but here's, here's what blows their mind and would blow our minds. We watch people come up maybe during the offering or, or come after the service. They put in, somebody puts in some loose change. An adult, okay, not, not a preschooler. An adult walks up, puts in some loose change. What most of us would think probably is they pulled what they had left in their pocket from the week or from today when they went and got whatever they wanted to get and they're just throwing it in the treasury. That's what we would think, and I'm sure that's what the disciples thought. This would have throws a couple of copper coins in. But Jesus makes this statement. What she gave is far greater than what anyone else has given. She put more into the treasury than all the others. All right, does everybody get that? Because that's the meat of what God's trying to teach us today. She, she put two copper coins in, and, and, a, and the wealthy were coming by and putting lots of money in, but she put in more than all the others. When Jesus looked discerningly at the gifts of all these people, at the religious leaders that we talked about earlier, who gave their lives to God's service, at these wealthy and at the widow, the wealthy were putting a lot of money in, and the widow put two coins in. He makes that statement. So what does he mean by the statement? Verse 44. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, everything, all she had to live on. So some had contributed out of their abundance, but... This woman is giving everything that she has out of her poverty. It's hard to even imagine that. So when you compare these gifts, this is what we can say. First of all, the religious leaders did not give as much as this lady. And why? Because her gift, their gifts did not require as much faith. In fact, their, their gifts required no faith. They knew they were taken care of. They could see, literally see their, their, their needs uh, their their uh, finances for taking care of their needs in the treasury. And so there's no faith there. There's no need, no worry, no faith. The wealthy are taken care of. When they put their money in the treasury, they could see clearly that there was a lot more money in the vault at the house. I have plenty of money. When they gave the money in, into into the plate, it wasn't everything they had. It was just a little bit out of their abundance. But this lady gave everything that she had. They gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty with, no, with nothing left to give. I don't know if you've ever been there before. And I'm not recommending that you go there. But God may take you there one day. To the place where he challenges you to give. When you don't know what you got in your, in your uh, account. You don't know what you got at home. I remember when Talitha and I were in seminary, poor as dirt, I mean, literally. God told us to go to seminary. Y'all know the story. While we're in seminary, there was, there was, I was working odd jobs as God would provide them. 
That's where I, when I was I told you guys I was the minister of, of uh, cancellation. Because somebody would cancel and I'd get a call on a Thursday to do something on a Friday. And it was just God would just provide that. It'd be manna for the week, you know, or manna for the day. But in the middle of all that, in that circumstances, in, in that set of circumstances, we went to see my mom and dad at their little mission church in Esterwood. And while I was sitting in the mission church, I felt a definite impression from the Lord to give $100 to this church. Now, $100 is nothing to us today. But I can tell you, in that day, I didn't know what was in our pantry. And usually there wasn't much. We got free bread from the, from the uh, what was that place called? What? From Schwegman's. They delivered it to the swap shop or whatever that thing was called. We would trade toys. The kids would trade toys with other kids' toys at the swap shop. If it wasn't for the swap shop, we'd have been in a bind. But God provided a swap shop. But in the middle of that, God's saying give $100. Of course, naturally, I struggled. I'm struggling during the, during the uh, service and coming time for the offering. And I, I wrote the check out. When I wrote the check out, where was my faith? When I wrote the check out, was I, was I able to see that I had more, more money? I didn't even know that I had that much in my account. I was pretty sure I did. <coughs> but that was it. Literally, we wrote a check for everything that I know that we had and, pro- and more than I thought we had and put it in the offering plate. That, that was, in my, in my again, not because I was obligated, not because, you know, to go to this church you have to put money in the plate, not because it was 10% of my salary, uh, or income, not because of any other thing than I was confident that God said, it's time to put the money in the plate, and this is what I want you to get. Ultimately, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the, the $100 check, because as soon as, I, as soon as the service was over, a little old lady that I know walked up to us and said, here, I want to give you all this. God said to give you all this, and it was a check for $200. It was for that. Not for the $200 check. It was for the faith. It was that God is always faithful. It's like we talked about last week. When you set your mind and your, your sights on the kingdom of God and you begin to decide, I'm going to seek this instead of seeking to be in control of my money and be in control of my, my family's ability to have food or clothing. I'm going to take, I'm going to just, I'm going after God completely. We had two kids at the time, all right? This is the, but we had made, we were determined we were going after God. God had worked in our hearts in such a way that he gave us enough faith to make that, that move. And since that time, God's not stopped growing our faith in relation to our giving. He's always challenging us in the way of our giving. Always increasing our uh, desire to give and then our ability to give. It's crazy. And so that's what he's talking about in this story. When we look at... This woman's giving. She is giving beyond what she has. She's giving everything. Putting it all before Jesus in the treasure. Gave more than all the others. She gave, not, she gave out of her poverty all that she had. So when Jesus looks at our giving, just know this. He's looking beyond the amount of our gifts. When Jesus was looking at faith, faith was, what is faith by definition? Faith is the, what? Come on, church. Say it louder. All right, it's the evidence or the essence of things not seen. Who operated in faith? 
We've already talked about this. The religious leaders could go and look at the treasury and know that they were taken care of. That's not faith because you can see it. The person that was wealthy didn't give out of faith because they gave out of their wealth, out of their abundance. They gave some of what they had. So that faith was not, that's not faith. It's not the evidence of things not seen. They can see it. It's in their bank account. Most of you right now can pull up your bank account and say, this is what I have. And I'll say, okay, so I'll give this amount. That's, that's what we do when, when, we're not, when, when our faith is small. They had little faith. They had some faith. At least they gave some, right, according to what they thought God was leading them to do. And we all have a little bit of faith. This is what that woman said. When she looks in her bank account, she says, all right, all this is available to you if you want me to give it. And you know why God wanted her to give everything that she had? Because God was fixing to teach the disciples a lesson. Because God was fixing to teach all those who were listening a lesson about his provision, about who he was and how he takes care of us and how we don't need to worry anymore about our, our finances. We need to just give as God tells us to give. We need to be faithful in that. That's a great way. That's it's one of the biggest challenges any of us are going to face. And this woman took it. They could see their money. She couldn't. She gave all that she had. She had faith. She had total faith in God that if I give up everything that I have, God's going to take care of me. If he takes care of the ravens, he's going to take care of me. If he clothes the the, the lilies of the field, he will clothe me. Are y'all making the connection today, church? Because last week we did a lot of thinking about worry. Today, we need to do a lot of thinking about faith. Worry is not the end. Just because you found something, found, a, uh, found worry in your own life and got some, some spiritual solutions out of the text last week, here's the ultimate solution. Walk with God. Let Him increase your faith. Abide in Him. Let your faith start growing. Uh, do the things that God tells you to do, regardless of whether it sounds reasonable or, or logical or not. Move with God into places that he tells you to go, and particularly in the area of your finances. Give beyond, be willing to give all if necessary. Don't limit yourself. A lot of you like this story because the widow put in two mites and Jesus applauded her for it. Good, like that, but he didn't applaud her for the amount she put in. You're thinking, some of you are thinking, well, that means I can give less. All I can do is put in a few mites and God's going to be happy with me. God's happy with you already. Let's settle that issue. Righteousness of Christ has been given to you. But God will applaud faith. He applauds faith. He's building faith. He's giving faith. And so ask yourself, you want, you want, to, you want to get rid of your worry? Launch out, on, launch out in regard to your finances into the area where God wants you to launch out. Give what God tells you to give. Ask him. Don't just assume. A lot of people like a tenth of their income. That's, that's measurable and controllable. That's more like the wealthy. As long as I give a tenth, that's a tithe. That's what the Old Testament says. But that's not what the New Testament says, and that's not what Jesus is applauding here. It all belongs to God. Now, I'm getting nods because you know that it all belongs to God, but it, does it really belong to God, or are you trying to control it still? It's not an issue of how much you're giving. It's how much are you control, in control. God may not require you to give more than a tenth of your income. But God may ask for all of it. Can he do that for you? What if? Let's go there today. What if God wanted you to do what this widow did? What if God said, I want you to give everything you have in your bank account? Where, where would your mind go? 
Well, you go to your bills. You got to pay, number one. I, I can't give everything I have in my bank account because I haven't paid my bills yet. But what if God said give everything you have? Now we're getting to last week's message in reality. Now we're talking about the truth because if you can't give everything you have to God and, and not have worry, then there's a source of your worry. You're still trying to control your money. Now, am I saying go give all your money away? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if God tells you to do whatever God tells you to do, launch out in faith on what he speaks, whatever it is. Some of you are not willing to take challenges, and your finances will be a good way to teach you that because our money is, we don't hold on to anything more uh, with a tighter grip than our, than our money. We hold on to that. And we've already bought things. We already have stuff, and it costs money to live. And, and, and we've had kids, and we've got all these challenges ahead of us financially, that we, and we've committed ourselves. But you only have one commitment that God's asking you to make, just one. Seek his kingdom first. And his promise from last week is that all these things will be taken care of. You will never know it until you do it. We don't know the rest of the story of this widow. Kind of wish we did, but I know, here's what I know we would do. We would think it was a formula. If, if I'm, I'm confident of this. I'm confident of this because of, of, of what Jesus is teaching, has already taught up to this point. That widow was well taken care of. She's like the widow that made the cakes, you know, and the, the bread never ran out in her house. God just continued to, to increase the oil and the flour for her to make cakes. God is going to take care of you. I know that widow was taken care of, even though we don't hear the rest of her story in Scripture. Because that's who God is. We've launched out on faith. Life and I have a number of times. Big, big, big faith. Now I feel like we're giving out of our abundance. Yeah, I really do. I think God has not asked us to give any more than what, what we're giving, but it's, it, I feel it's so comfortable, I guess, in the fact that God's going to take care of us now. I've learned that by experience, and God's good that way. So when God looks at you right now, as God's looking at your life today, and he is, as God's looking at your giving, whatever you define your giving, don't rule yourself out of your financial giving because I'm going to tell you, your financial is probably the one you need to have in mind if you want to get a good feeling for where your faith is. We never preach on tithing here. We never preach on giving here. It just happens to come up in a text today, but we're still not preaching on, the, on giving. We're preaching on Jesus. Jesus is watching you. He looks at you. You can't fool him by throwing a few dollars into the offering plate and pretending like you have faith. Get, just get real. Don't put anything in the offering plate. Or put in what your, where your faith is. You know, whatever you give, let it be where your faith is because you're not hiding that from God. He is watching discerningly. He's looking into your heart to see where your heart is. So, so is, is your money your God? Is your money controlling you? Are you in control of your money and, and not willing to release that to God? Well, then there's going to be a whole bunch of other things in your life, a whole lot of other places where you're going to put limits on where God can go. I hope it's not true. I hope that maybe the end of this series on who Jesus is, I hope you've been convinced that he has your best interest in mind, that he dances over you, that he walks through life with you, that he is your your father, your adopted sons, he's taking care of you. He's, he's absolutely, you're the twinkle in his eye. You're the crowning work of his creation. We are all those things. God is not, he gave us his son. How are we not also with him free to give us all things? 
where we're scared. Satan has our minds where we're worried about what we're doing with our finances and our money. Many of you have made good, taken good challenges regarding your finances. You've taken good challenges in the area of how much you choose to make or not make. Our jobs are waiting on jobs, you know, until God provides. Quitting one job before God provides another job because God told you to do that. Uh, I mean, I've seen faith uh, in this congregation. I know we have that, but listen, I want you to know this about Jesus. He is excited about your faith. He loves it when your faith rises to the point of obedience. It, that thrills the heart of God. Jesus talks about that in John 15, that he told us to abide in him so that his joy might be in us. He takes joy in us whenever our faith gets bigger. He takes joy in us when we make a move that's not logical or reasonable by man's standards, but it is in obedience to him. He takes joy in that because he gets to show us who he is. So I don't know how this falls for you today, how this message falls for you. You might feel pretty good about it. You may may have been feeling pretty good about your giving. And and today God's challenging you to ask, do you want to give more? Do you want me to give more? Do I need to be stretched in this area? Would you ask God that? Would you be willing to, 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 say, to say to God, God, in this area, I, need, I, want, I want my faith to be strong when you look at me? Help me with that. Teach me. And he gathered us together like he gathered his disciples today to see this event happen. I may not have presented it to you in the best way, but you saw it. And you see what's going on. You know he's not talking about how much you give. It's not a matter of amount. It's not about how often. It's not about whether you come up every week and put something in this plate. I never put anything in that plate. Mine comes directly through uh, from my bank. So you'll never, if you're waiting on that, it's not about how many times you come here. It's all about what God sees when he looks discerningly at your giving. What does God see when he looks discerningly at your giving? Don't applaud yourself for the areas where you're doing good. What are, where are you not giving? Think about those and, and ask the Lord to develop your, your trust in him in the areas where you're not giving, the areas where you're weak. Ultimately, it's such a beautiful testimony about our God whenever we can walk through circumstances where everything's falling apart and we have no change in our demeanor. We still have the joy that we had when we were walking in plenty. And Paul describes that in his, in, uh, in his teaching. When he speaks about his life, he said, I know how to, how to live with a lot. I know how to live with nothing. He knows how to, because he trusts God. He walks with God through life. I love the way God works and moves uh, through my finances and through, my, through the money in my, in my life. I, I've learned some great lessons about God being my provider by just being obedient to what he says. And I want you to have that. I want to have more of that, and I want you to have that today. So let's commit that to the Lord today. Okay, let's, as, we, as we close today, as we sing here in just a minute, if we worship the Lord, if we think about his faithfulness that we sang about already today, think about how good God is and how he takes care of us and provides for us, let's let, let's let our giving reflect that. Let's be willing to ask God, God, what do you want to do through my finances and through my time, through my energy? What do you want to do with me? And let's don't just give God our leftovers. If that's where you are in your faith, it's okay. Nobody's judging you. You have the, you know, God looks at you as righteous, but you're missing out on so much joy that God has for you. And so am I. Let's give according to what God tells us to give.
Let's experience the joy that God has for us. All right, let's pray. You think about your own life and where you are. Would you ask a question of God today just to ask him? Just ask him. God, uh, I want to know. Am I giving like you want me to give? God, as you look at me um, discerningly today, does what I have put into the treasury reflect that I trust you? Does what I give show that I have faith in your provision? Show me what kind of faith I have. And then challenge me in ways that will increase my faith. Father, I'm thankful today that That this poor widow didn't have much to give. Some of us feel like that today. We don't have much to give. I thank you that you are a God who applauds great faith even when there's little money. You, you applaud great faith even when there's little time for us. Father, I love that about you, that, that you look beyond the surface you look into our hearts and today as you look into our hearts God I pray that you would draw us to trust you more to see God that if we seek your kingdom that you will take care of all the other things so help us to, to seek you today challenge our hearts as a congregation challenge us as a church in a way that we would know you as our provider and be so confident in you that we would demonstrate to the world around us, the truth about who you are. Do that work in us today, God. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.